everyone, and welcome to The Link Podcast, the industry's link to learn, innovate news and knowledge in global supply chain intelligence, hosted by food logistics and supply and demand chain executive. We cover everything from transportation and warehousing trends and new technologies to food safety and sustainability, really anything impacting today's supply chains. My name is Brielle Jekyll, the managing editor here, and today I'm talking with Kristen Toth, who is the president and chief operating officer of Furnish, an online furniture retailer that operates with a unique retail strategy that's fully immersed in the direct-to-consumer world. She gives us an inside look at what the D2C logistics experience is like and how reverse logistics is handled. So let's link into that conversation now. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining with me today. I am here with Kristen, who is from Furnish, a online uh, direct-to-consumer furniture retailer. Hi, thank you so much for coming on with me today. Oh my gosh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk about the direct-to-consumer retail environment because it is such a big impact on the supply chain. Um, And it's been you know, skyrocketed to now major retailers and everyone is taking on this type of uh, strategy and interaction with consumers. So, and, and, you know, you guys are, are a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely been an interesting couple of years. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially in the last two years, it's really kind of grown out of control. So what current trends are happening in direct to consumer right now? Yeah, well, let me just tell you a little bit about Furnish because we're slightly different than what you might think. So we, our mission is to make it effortless to create your home with home being like more than just the space and the things in it, but how you feel about it. And a lot of times people were uh, go out and buy furniture or sort of obtain furniture in different ways that don't give them that feeling of home. It's not the pride of your home or the joy or the comfort or the safety. And then the effortless part is the part that is really different for us. So our business model started as a direct-to-consumer furniture rental. And now we do furniture decor rental. And you can buy from us. uh, You can actually start renting and decide that you want to buy from us. And so that has sort of helped us because it's relevant to how we think about our supply chain, because the cool thing is, is that we have to buy to support growth and the people that are buying from us. But we also have this sort of circular part of our business where when a customer is moving on from needing the the furniture or the decor, whatever it is for whatever it was serving in their life, whether it was a temporary situation, whether it was just like their life is changing, they have new roommates, they have a new partner, they have a new place where this thing doesn't fit in, we can just go and pick it up, bring it back to our facilities. And we've built a kind of subject matter expertise in refurbishing and and cleaning furniture so that it gets to be like new again, and we can give it another life. So it doesn't end up in a landfill. But over the last couple of years, it certainly helped us sort of insulate ourselves from some of the supply chain disruptions of getting new products. So since it's relevant, I thought I would just do a little bit about our business model. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because I think reverse logistics is a huge part of the industry today. And it's, 
you know, you guys are really taking that by storm. I'm sure that's a huge part of, you know, online business and you're really taking the bull by the horns with that one. Yeah. It's just part of what we do. And I mean, going back to your question in terms of the trends, there's so much uncertainty, but I think there's, and so that kind of helps us because we're a great option to spend your money wisely and only pay for the time that you really need that thing to be in your home or well, it fits your your purpose, but and things are changing a lot. So obviously, not surprisingly, March, April, 2020, we were seeing a skyrocketing demand for home office furniture, which we hadn't really seen before at all. Um, and so, you know, things are changing. How you're using your home is changing. What your needs are, who you're living with, where you're living is changing more rapidly. In this kind of flexibility of our of our model and what we do really helps to accommodate that. Then I think the other thing that was really happening um, in terms of trends is because people were staying at home, being at home so much more often, maybe gathering in smaller groups and really valuing that time, there was a lot more investment in people's homes. So early part of the pandemic, we we saw people mostly scrambling to outfit a home office or have a really great place for them or their kids to go to school or work or whatever and really start kind of creating a workspace in their homes. And then as the sort of isolation continued, people were upgrading their beds and their bedrooms and adding things like area rugs and um, throw pillows and blankets and like really making their homes much more cozy. And because we weren't going on vacation and we weren't going um, out to dinner, there was a lot more focus on your own space and how that was being used. So we were, uh, we really saw those trends um, hitting in terms of our demand and the way that our customers were, were coming to us and, and how they were using us. Right. I can imagine. I mean, and and it's so exciting to see this happen now while I know it was because the shift of all of us being at home, you know, during the pandemic, but like I'm getting married in November and half of my bridesmaids are spread out all over the U.S. So we're using um, a direct to consumer, you know, bridal shop for the bridesmaids dresses. And it's so much easier this way because we're not together, but we can still share the experience and they're still able to try on their dresses and then ship it back if they don't like it. So we still get that fun experience, but without having to, you know, do all this travel. Yeah, that's so, that's awesome. And I, I think it's, you know, the last couple of years have accelerated things that I don't think are completely new for us. Uh, and technology that wasn't completely new. I mean, Zoom would be a good example, right? Like right. Zoom was out there before, but we weren't all using it. We didn't use it in the ways that we're using it today. And I think some of the, you know, social media live and all of that, like you, we're just mm-hmm. seeing people get really creative about how to use technology that was there in new and interesting ways to connect with each other, um, you know, express what they need to get things done that they would have done totally differently in the past. So it's pretty exciting to see that. Yeah, you make a really good point because, you know, I'm excited to use this website now, but two, three years ago, if I was getting married then, and I introduced this to my friends, it would probably be a whole thing. Everyone would be nervous about it. No one would know what I was talking about. And, you know, I've been working from home for my entire um, career. And so I'm used to these certain things that 
but I was given a whole new opportunity of resources once the pandemic came because everyone else was working from home yeah. versus before I had to do things completely differently. Um, so it's really interesting to see all this technology that's been here, but now becomes more popular and is a part of everyone's everyday use. It's, it's totally wild to see. Totally. Totally. So what do you think on the logistics side of things? How is direct-to-consumer handled differently? Yeah, well, I mean, there are some, I don't know, maybe surface-level things that I would say. You know, one of the first things that really happened for us uh, was all of a sudden we had to be really careful about our employees. And they, you know, especially our delivery and warehousing teams and our refurbishment staffs, there's not a real virtual option for that when you're dealing with physical goods. And so we really had to think about, you know, how do we keep them safe and productive um, and still satisfy our customers? And then we really had to think about what the delivery experience was. And we do most of our own deliveries and it's a very high touch um, delivery um, service that we provide. So, you know, we're going into people's homes, we're spending some significant time there. We're asking for feedback from our customers where they want things to be put. So we're interacting with customers and that already really requires a whole bunch of trust, but because, you know, there was this additional, um, you know, health reason why we needed to think about that. Uh, it just changed what we were doing. We built no contact delivery, which obviously is something that existed before and was kind of the norm, but it was different and new for us that we didn't have to, we didn't really know how to do that or hadn't really contemplated that before. Um, and then, you know, I think when, when we think about, um, you know, I mean, you, you brought up the supply chain. There's so many things that just started happening in terms of materials and supplies and the actual product that we were sourcing and, um, you know, various raw material shortages and capacity constraints in manufacturers and then all kinds of shipping delays. And so, you know, for us, what it meant is that we had to we had to build out functionality to be able to have a much better view into our supply chain, what the kind of flow of product was looking like and um, and be able to translate that into communication with our customers so that, you know, we could, we used to just say, if we didn't have in our warehouse, we weren't going to offer it to you. But the, the change has been now there are these lead times and everybody is experiencing it. So it's much more normal in furniture, especially, but everywhere to, to be able to sort of order an item that's on back order, so to speak, but we didn't have that, right? So we had to do a lot of work to um, to outfit and instrument our supply chain so we could understand a little bit more about where was the product, when did we think it was going to be able to be in our warehouse, and then allow like translate that into a promise that we could make to our customers. So that was a whole big difference in terms of the customer experience. Um, I think what is is really great about um, you know how we approached it is we were always really operating on more of a just in time inventory model, and a lot of people were saying, "Well, that just doesn't work anymore." Like reference the pandemic and all of the supply chain disruptions, but I think for us it's still how we're operating. But it's forced us to take the conversations we were already having and having to have with our suppliers to understand their value chains and how they do things so that we could give them the information 
when they needed it, how they needed it to support us. And it forced us to sort of go deeper and deeper with them to plan out further, you know, share updates and just be very creative and collaborative in how we sort of problem solved any of the sort of supply issues that we might have been having. Do you think a pandemic aside that that's really important for you to do things kind of differently and, you know, follow that kind of pathway because of the direct to consumer or just because you like that, that way of doing things? Uh, I mean, I think that it's absolutely critical. I mean, as a startup, we definitely are very, um, aware of where our cash is going because it's such a constrained resource for us. And so it's always forced us to really think about, you know, how much and what are we buying because we don't have a lot of extra to be able to hold a lot more or make big mistakes on what we're buying. And so we've, you know, I think that that has been that sort of like scarcity. It has like driven us to be very creative and and very collaborative. And we've had amazing relationships with all of our vendors and they've just become big partners to us even early on. So we were sort of committed to that. It just forced us to go further and longer term and deeper with our vendors uh, a little bit faster than we probably would have otherwise. It's maybe a little bit like the technology conversation we were having earlier, where it's like we were kind of already doing it, but we had to do it more and in different ways and, and really get creative about um, different ways we could, you know, solve a temporary issue or ways that we could um, find, um, you know, alternative sources or different products that would meet our customers' needs. So we talked about reverse logistics a little bit before and how, you know, you, you started out as a rental company, which is, you know, half of the business is is reverse logistics. But can you go into a little bit of detail of how that actually works? I mean, it, it must be so difficult with items so large. It's certainly uh, uh, it's certainly challenging. But I think the the last couple of companies that I've worked with have both had um, a big play in reverse logistics. And for us, we didn't really think about reverse logistics that much differently than forward logistics. And there's a couple things to that. Like number one, we were pretty local. So our delivery radius or our service radius in both cases were, you know, a 50 mile radius, a 70 mile radius. And and so we really were like focused on a geographic area. So that really helps because then you can you can create services that are hypersensitive and service that area. And I think the second thing is that it was just always with us. It wasn't an afterthought. It was like, of course, we're going to have to do this. And so when we plan all of our logistics, there are just, we we call them trips or other places we call them stops. Um, there's lots of stops on there on our routes in throughout the day. And some of them were delivering product and some of them were picking up product, but we're thinking about them all in one route and all in a, a sort of way of, uh, you know, accomplishing a number of different things. And so for us, it's not so incredibly different. I mean, the pickup doesn't involve all of the assembly and the things that we do to you know place the, the items. So it's a little bit different in terms of the service on site. But they're each stops for us. 
the the biggest issue for us is to make sure that we don't fill up a truck in the morning when it's coming from the warehouse and then go try to pick up more stuff right in the the beginning of the day. But other than that, these are just sort of like the to-do list and we we just make it part of of what we do from the get-go. So for us, it's not really an exception like it is for a lot of um, more e-commerce related uh, folks. And and I, there's some great solutions out there if, you know, a direct-to-consumer or more e-commerce sort of nationwide um, company wanted to get some help with reverse logistics. And it, that like there's a lot of businesses that have grown out of that um, necessity and the fact that that really is an exception. Whereas for us, most of the time we're getting our stuff back eventually. And so that was sort of built into our process from the get-go. So we're coming up on our time here, but what do you think in terms of uh, direct-to-consumer as a whole, what do you think the future holds? I just think that, you know, there's a couple of things. I think that consumers these days really like to know kind of who is making the product and where is that product coming from? And I think that that direct relationship between the customer and the the product or the brand is so powerful. Um, and I think it just gives a ton of opportunity for brands to really create the experience and the, the full brand that they're looking for because there are not a lot of intermediaries in between their customers and them. So I love that about, about direct direct to consumer and where we're going. Um, and I just, I, I think that it's so powerful also to, um, to just be able to, well, I mean, it's, it's the sort of like reverse part of that is like, what is that feedback loop that comes from customers back to the the company so that they can continue to evolve their products and their services based on the feedback from their consumers and really get like those direct cues from their consumers about what the what they want next or how things are changing and without a lot of sort of intermediaries in the way uh, that that communication if you're really listening and and looking for it can be so so powerful and so I'm excited about that I mean I think the the challenge will always be being discovered as a direct to consumer brand because you know you're having to do all of that work yourself but um, I think there's more and more creative ways of doing that. And obviously social media and, uh, you know, different um, affiliate or influencer or, you know, name it, all kinds of other channels that you can use to get it to customers um, and just experiential things that you can do to allow your customer to understand not only your product or your service, but also the sort of brand that goes around it so that they can feel that emotional connect connection. There's a lot of opportunities there, but that's also the challenge. So super excited about direct to consumer. I think um, it, it's a, because that feedback loop happens so quickly, it's, there's so much innovation and constant change and it's a really fun area of, of retail these days, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the future of the supply chain and retail in general is going, it is for sure going to be visibility and that two-way communication in real time. Totally. Yeah. Well, that's all I have time for today, but thank you so much for coming on with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And like you said, I'm excited to see where uh, D2C is going to go in the future. I think it'll be a, a really great industry. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. 
All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and tune in every Tuesday for our episodes of Link by a food logistics and supply and demand chain executive. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a thumbs up or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Brielle for more of what's happening in the supply chain. And do not forget to hit subscribe on the Spotify, Apple, and Google playlist apps so you never miss an episode.